good morning everyone nice to nice to be with you thanks so much for the invite to um, speak to you um, for your service um, wish I could be with you with Sue um, in the flesh so to speak but uh, hopefully that will come sometime uh, sooner rather than later um, about a couple of weeks ago I was asked to address all the UK senior leaders in regions beyond just to give them my perspective of what has been happening during this this shutdown period and um, I spoke I think for just under 10 minutes but afterwards I was asked by a number could you just enlarge um, on that um, uh, so we can show it to um, our congregations so th this is uh, my enlargement really of of that message um, I tend to like to get things into perspective, so that's what I'm going to try and do. The first perspective I want to get this into is a historical perspective. Um, a guy called Rodney Stark is a historian, and he wrote a book entitled The Rise of Christianity. And this is how he describes this book himself. He said, "It the material covers this, how the obscure marginal Jesus movement became the dominant force in the Western world in a few centuries. So when we, this pandemic that we're experiencing, the early church, particularly, well, the first 300 years, but right the way through church history, um, they, they lived with this, with this um, sort of thing. Um, it was not unusual for there to be outbreaks of plague and stuff that was life-threatening. And in fact, in the first 300-year period of the church, not only was there persecution, um, but the church was gaining a reputation for being different in showing love and mercy, and particularly self-sacrifice in the face of life-threatening um, epidemics. And so I want, just want to read something that uh, I found really helpful from uh, Rodney Stark because he cites a plague which took place in 165 AD under the reign of Marcus Aurelius. Now, if you ever saw the film The Gladiator, and I guess probably most of you did that one with Russell Crowe, Marcus Aurelius was the, was the emperor, um, quite a religious man himself, um, but he died actually of this plague and um, uh, not at the hand of his son uh, Commodius who was uh, later himself uh, died in suspicious circumstances in his gladiatorial school. But um, what, what, what happened um, around that time was that well, there was a, a very serious um, plague epidemic um, Medics researching all this stuff reckoned it was the, the first outbreak uh, that was recorded of, of smallpox. And um, a guy called Dionysus, who was a, a bishop in the church at that time, this is what he said. He said, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the diseases, 
drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbours and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of presbyters, deacons and laymen winning high commendation so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way to equal that of martyrdom. So the church gained a reputation for their for their for just for their love and their mercy and the kindness that they showed when they tended to the sick uh, when they were faced with an epidemic like this. That's in addition of course to the persecution and that they faced themselves. Um, it's interesting that um, this is also said uh, recorded of what the pagans response was because it was very different and um, here's a quote the heathen behaved in the very opposite way at the first onset of the disease they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease but do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. And that's, that's again, a quote from uh, Rodney Stark's Rise of Christianity. So, that, that, in many ways, that sums up the, the response of Jesus' church at this present time um, globally. And, 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 and what has happened as a result of this there's that people are asking questions. There's an interest. There's an interest, and a growth uh, that has taken as as taken place. So historically, we're in line very much with those of our brothers and sisters who lived right back in those early those early centuries of Christianity. So that's historical perspective, and it's good that we we understand that. Because we are we are in line with, if you like, what what God expects of us. But I just want to talk about a, a, a prophetic perspective. Now you've got to weigh this because this is coming from me, my thoughts, and uh, I hope you'll find this helpful and you'll be able to think and and pray through it yourself. Some of you see me this morning will like myself and my wife Sue and others. Uh, have lived through 50 years of what we call the renewal, uh, restoration movements. Um, and those movements were geared to bring the church to nearly back to New Testament and a New Testament expression of Christianity in the 21st century and obviously in our different cultural settings um, around the world. But I use advisedly the word nearly because... Apart from the Pentecostal awakening, which started in 1901 um, and then culminated in 1905 with the Azusa Street revival or the, or the awakening, the one thing that I think we have longed for and the church has longed for for a long time is that we somehow reach out into the community. If we're honest, our focus and a lot of the energies that we put as church is basically into Sunday and particularly our Sunday meetings. We've been very much in-house. We long to be out there in the community, seeing the community come to Christ. 
But I think our expectation has been in, in, in the main that they're going to come seeking us out. Now, praise God when they do. But when we're talking about revival, we're talking about, first of all, an awakening of the church to its responsibilities and then an awakening to the gospel out there in the communities. <laughs> I love the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. It's not the easiest one to come to terms with. But this shutdown, I believe, has sovereignly got us into the community with what I would call mercy projects. Um, Sue and I, after 10 years of being church planting in, uh, in a couple of different places, we've now come back to um, the church, which we were very much um, involved with for uh, 30 years or more in Biggin Hill. And uh, that is now led by Simon Turner. Some of you know him very well. Um, others of you um, watching this would do know him. But one of the things that, that Simon has done, um, organised a small committee of four um, that are shopping, uh, helping people, uh, vulnerable people, older folk, um, are vulnerable, that, that cannot do their own shopping. And this little... Um, this little committee of four, there's one is another Christian from another another church in the town. And the two others are non-Christians. And in fact, um, they have been up to now uh, pretty anti-Christian, quite, quite hostile to the church, but are discovering in terms of their contact um, with Simon and seeing how the church is... Uh, is helping and assisting in all this food distribution and, and, and other things that they're doing, they are now be beginning to realise that the church is not how they perceived it to be. And this is what's being reported. And this is not just with Simon. This is with others as well. They're asking, people are asking this question, is, is this really the church? Because they are, their understanding of the church was something very, very different and and what is re resulting from the questions that people are asking is that people are coming to Christ I heard a story the other day I think it was uh, from Hope Church in Bromley and someone turned up and uh, they, they, they 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 come I think to do with some food distribution or they come to to help and they were just asked well what congregation do you come from they said well oh no no we're I'm online I'm on one of your line congregations and they said, well, you know, you know, are you a Christian, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, well, yes, but there's things I don't understand, like what does it mean to be born again? And that led to discussion and that led to this person coming to Christ. But they had, they had looked at the services online and then regarded themselves as a member. I'm now a member of this church because I'm, I'm an online member. And through that, they've come to Christ. And that's and that's that's not just one story. That's a story that's being multiplied many times uh, around the globe at the moment. I just want to bring something that I feel I was um, I was reading the other day that God spoke to me. And again, you need to weigh this, but because I don't like taking things particularly out of context. But I I was reading through Luke's gospel, and I was in Luke chapter eighteen, and particularly at verse thirty five, where it says that. Jesus and his disciples were going, they were, they were near Jericho. Then this guy who was blind began to shout out to Jesus. 
um, and he shouted out, Son of David, have, have pity on me. And Jesus went to him and said, to him, well, well, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to see again. Obviously, he'd lost his sight. We don't know how. And when he is healed, verse 43, it says the people saw it and gave praise to God. And I thought God began to speak to me about this is a time for people seeing things, not just hearing things. And so uh, it says there that this blind man wanted to see. And then when the then when the people saw the miracle, they began to praise God. Now, if you turn over the next to the next chapter, it's the story which we're so familiar with of Zacchaeus. And you remember, he was trying to see Jesus because he was a little guy. He couldn't because of the crowd. So he climbed into a sycamore tree and we, we know the rest that he went and Jesus had a meal with him at his house, etc. But it, it says that he wanted to see. And this is a pagan. This is, this is a guy who's, you know, he's, um, he's, he's, yeah, he's, ripping, he's ripping his own people off. He confesses that. And, but he wants to see. And, and then the chapter ends with, with these words of Jesus. Again, he says, you see the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And I felt God speaking to me prophetically that this is a time for seeing. And, uh, and, and we've been sovereignly forced, in a way, to go out, go out of our buildings and 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 it's for the the reason is to open people's eyes as to who we are exactly as the people of God, and to 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 see for themselves, and that's why many people are asking questions. And then, lastly, I want to bring you a, a directional perspective. In 1996, and that was the height of the Toronto blessing, and myself and Trevor Payne, we were asked if we would actually go to a conference in Toronto. It was a leaders' conference, and we were given five sessions, um, one main session where there were thousands of people, and then uh, four seminars uh, where, there were, where, there were, where, where there were hundreds. It was a bit of a daunting experience for Trevor and I because we'd never been to anything, uh, at least spoke at anything that, that size. And there were other, there were other well-known, very other, there were some well-known speakers. And, and Gerald Coates was there, someone... Some of you may know of him. I, I, I was, knew him quite well. But Gerald, um, he, he, for his main session, he spoke on non-religious Christianity. And he was hilarious. If you, if you know him, you know he's very funny. He will always entertain. And he's pretty radical. And his subject was this. is was non-religious Christianity. And he just told stories. And he, he had them in stitches. And then, then there was a 15-minute break. And then Trevor had to follow that. And I really felt sorry for Trevor. How do you follow Gerald Coates when everybody's rolling around in the aisles laughing? It was so hilarious. And then Trevor stood up and quite soberly addressed his subject. He said, this is what I have chosen to speak on this morning. And he said this, the most important job in the world you can do is to be a local church pastor 
And I think my heart dropped a little because I didn't know what he was going to speak of. But there was there was silence. And to, I think, my and everybody else's amazement, there was absolute attendance to what he said. He said, being a local church pastor, shepherding those God has given you is the most important job you can do. And he was scratching where they were itching. And that word, that word that Trevor spoke then, I believe it's more prophetic for today than it was for then. This is what Psalm 78 says. I'm going to read it. Speaking of David, Israel's king, it says that God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And then these, the, this, this, next, this next phrase, this next verse, is what really gripped me. And I just want to just open up just a little bit in closing. It says this, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. This is a time for us as Christians to be to have real integrity and to use the skills that God has given us. Um, this is not just a word for church leaders because we're all called to be shepherds and particularly those that God is bringing in, they're going to need some shepherding. And can I just say this? Sometimes I think rather than being shepherds, we're more like policemen. We're not called to be policemen. Policemen just keep the peace. We're not called to be that. We're called to bring people into a living relationship with Jesus and to see them come to maturity so they themselves, they themselves will then be shepherds and bring others to, uh, to maturity themselves. What is integrity? Well, let me tell you what I think it is in this context. It's being like Jesus. And it's being non-judgmental. I think sometimes... Many Christians forget that they, as Paul says in, 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 in the book of Ephesians, he says, when he's speaking of sinners, he says, and, you know, sinners who did vile things, he says, and such were some of you. I think we tend to forget that sometimes, that we're so judgmental of others. We are more like policemen than we are shepherds. We're not to be judgmental. We're to be like Jesus. And we... We should be the friend of sinners, sitting down with people, irrespective of their background or their sins. There's no pecking order in sins, folks. Paul, when he writes to the the book to to the folk in 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 Rome, and he's he's addressing really the fact that the Jews have now come back under Nero. They've come back, so the church is predominantly Gentile, and he's and he's addressing the difficulties that this is bringing. But he he says to both. Gentiles and Jews, and this was unpalatable for Jews, we have all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Let me tell you what sin is. It's falling short of the glory of God. Whether it's an acceptable sin or a vile sin, there's no pecking order in sin. We sit down with sinners, just like Jesus sat down with Zacchaeus, who gathered all his friends together. And we just don't do it because we want them converted. Of course we want them to come to the truth. But we sit down with them because Jesus loves them. And we've, we've got to find the integrity to love them 
without with, without putting any restrictions on that. And that's challenging for us in these days because we're used we're used to in house, and God is forcing us out there into the world. And and this and what are the skills? That we're to use. We use all skills. We're not just talking about spiritual religious stuff. Um, I hear my good friend Paul Paul Barrett, who's uh, now living um, in uh, Wrexham, and I feel sorry for the Wrexham people because guess what he's doing? He's a first responder medically, but he's also now driving an ambulance through the streets of Wrexham. Can you just imagine him ringing his bell? Get out of the way! Here I come! How amazing! Using his skill there he got a license when he was in the RAF for those heavy duty vehicles and he's using that skill or in Musenberg Cape Town this one there the pastor there is ministering to the starving families of well-known criminals gangsters who have previously fired bullets into his church meeting killing a worship leader that that is showing the mercy, the love, the passion of Jesus, and they're using their skills to reach out into that community. For myself, I've got a legal background. Oh, it was 40, 40 odd years ago that I left a lawyer's office. But there are people who, who are seeking refunds that are not being returned, and I'm just writing letters for them um, to, to get their to get their money back. Folks, this is such an opportunity for us. We are, we are called to be shepherds. We're not to be policemen. We're not here to condemn or judge people for their sin. If Jesus doesn't do it, then we dare not. We're called to use whatever skills God has given us. We've been praying a lot for revival in the last few years. Terry Virgo, that most of us know, He's been great in the way he's been speaking of revival, believing for revival. Maybe this is how God is answering our prayers because we serve a sovereign God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And it may be uncomfortable for us, inconvenient for us. Maybe we're thinking, oh, when is this thing going to end? Look, we, we need to get a, a, a much bigger perspective a more biblical, prophetic perspective of what is happening today and the opportunities that God is sovereignly giving to his church. What we learn and experience now will determine what we do when all this is over. And that is a huge challenge for us all. Well, my time is up. Thank you so much for letting me speak to you. It's been a real privilege I just love being able to open God's word to you. And may God bless you. Shall we just pray um, as we've come to a close? And I just want to make a simple prayer. I I was very influenced many, many years ago, before I came to Christ, as I was beginning to get to know my wife, Sue, or my wife-to-be, Sue. And um, um there on her mantelpiece was a little thing from a guy called C.T. Studd, who was a pioneer missionary. And it said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. And I'd like us to make that prayer as I come to close. This is a time um, for us 
we were born at this time for purpose and this works that God has prepared for us to do. So we say to you, Lord Jesus, we take that prayer on our lips. There's only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for you will last. So Lord, lead us into our communities to do the works that you've appointed for us so that we bring glory to your name. Amen. Thank you so much again. Bye-bye for now.